Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. I am Daniel, here with my co-host, Sean. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Also, be sure to check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net, and if you would like to uh, support our ministry, uh, you can do so by subscribing to one of our tiers at patreon.com, patreon.com forward slash theparticularbaptist. And today we're going to be talking about uh, really an extension of a conversation we had a couple weeks ago on self-defense. Um, and I don't think that the episode that we had was on uh, Dennis Prager's series talking about the Sixth Commandment. So it wasn't only about self-defense. That was a, an aspect of it. Um, but we wanted to talk a little bit more about the concept of self-defense. What is its appropriateness? What does it look like? What does it not look like? Um, and kind of provide a biblical framework for that. Um, so I think that uh, we'll we'll dive into that today. So some of the same concepts maybe retreaded from last time uh, we talked about this, but this hopefully will be a deeper dive into that discussion. So Sean, if you want to start our discussion, yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we really do want to think about this biblically, and um, there seems. We want to let the the scripture guide us, right? Because there's there's mm-hmm. scriptures that you could read in an absolute sense that uh, oh well, you should never do self defense anywhere, anytime. And there's scriptures obviously that do promote self defense. So we want to look at the the scripture and compare them and make sure that we have uh, we've got a, a full orbed understanding about what God is trying to tell us about when it's appropriate to use uh, self defense and uh, when not. The Bible should always be our uh, our boundary there. Um, so there are uh, certain contexts uh, biblically that we're, we're not supposed to resist um, persecution, right? So um, Sermon on the Mount is a great example. This is uh, Matthew uh, 5, 38 through 42. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you uh, that you resist not evil, but whoever shall smite thee on thy cheek, turn to him uh, the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that should borrow thee, turn not thou away. So here, there is there is a form of persecution going on, and uh, we're, we're told not to resist it, right? Um, and then even the, the next section, uh, we have a, sort of the same thing going on. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So here, we're, we're supposed to be praying and not retaliating towards those that persecute us. Um and then just just one more verse, uh, Romans 12, verses uh, 14. I think I meant to do 15, but I don't see it here. But um, bless them uh, which persecute you, bless and curse not. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have that sort of framework there that um, there's at least in certain contexts where we might be under persecution and we're not to retaliate in any way. But on the other hand, we do have biblical examples of uh, self-defense and a form of retaliation, right? Um, one example is the example of Abraham and Lot. Lot is captured, and Abraham doesn't just sit there. 
he uh, he mm -hmm. uh, gets his servants and they go and attack the people that have captured him and rescue Lot. And that's not biblically seen as a bad thing. Um, the narrative mm -hmm. implies that it's a good thing. So um, we see that that's uh, something where there is a form of retaliation that's perfectly fine. We also have um, in Exodus, the uh, um, the law says, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, um, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is uh, if a thief be found breaking in and be smitten that he shall die, there shall be no blood shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him, for he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he should be sold for his theft. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be an ox uh, or a donkey or a sheep, he shall restore double. So we have this this section here that says, uh, in in certain contexts, if you if you kill the thief, it's actually appropriate to do so. And um, uh, I think you wanted to say something about that, Dan, before I uh, before I continued. Yeah, just and this is basically a reiteration of what we had said in our in the Prager episode, but really the intention of the the person seems to be the issue here. Um, whether or not the person breaking in is intending to harm or not. And there are certain protections that are given here, even for the aggressor um, in terms of preserving life. You can't just take their lives because they break into your home. There has to be some indication that they are here to hurt you. Um, and that's kind of where the, you know, the daytime and the nighttime seem to come into play is with their, if someone's stealing in the day, it's easier to see what their intentions are than if someone is coming at night. You don't know. They could be breaking into your home at night, you know, and that could imply that they're here to hurt you because they're trying to do so at night. You can't see really what they're trying to do. So out of abundance of caution, you know, you can take their life and you're not held accountable for that. Um, so intention seems to be the issue here. Um, and I think that's a, a testament to seeing the importance of preserving life on not just for us as the victims, but for the aggressor too. They had rights. They had protections. All life was considered precious and is considered precious in the scriptures. Um, and we don't just get to take a life just because uh, we feel like we should. Um, and that will, I think, come out later in our discussion too. Yeah. But uh, I think we can see that from this passage here. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree with your interpretation. I think it is the most fitting one that the reason why it's okay to take the life at night, but not in the day is because, well, at night, it's, it's very difficult to see the intentions of someone. Um, so this is basically giving justification for if you, if, if, even if it ends up being that the thief didn't intend to, to harm you because you didn't know you had the right to take that person's life. I think that's, um, that's what's being gotten at there. And, um, I just wanted to also note that this does seem to be part of the moral law rather than the, the ceremonial or, or civil law. Mm. Um, I guess it, it, there's a little bit of overlap with the civil law, obviously, but I would say that this, this definitely appears to be moral and would be binding um, even for us Christians today, because I know that oh, when we get into this discussion, depending on your hermeneutic of the Bible, you might not want to see certain passages as applicable uh, today, but I think um, a, Understanding that uh, the Bible is consistent together um, helps in understanding that. Yeah, you so, could, this could be a general equity passage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so. Yep. Um, so 
I guess moving on, how are how are we to reconcile these these concepts? Because it does seem, at least on first glance, potentially that there might be a little bit of conflict. Um, I do think it's important to note with uh, the the verses from the Sermon on the Mount uh, about not resisting evil. None of them deal with protecting others. They're very they're very self focused, right? It's like you you should not resist the evil um, done to you. And so that wouldn't necessarily apply to situations where you're supposed to protect others, right? Because um, it's one thing for me to say, I will lay down my life. It's another thing for me to say, you will lay down your life. Right. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, in, in, in uh, certain forms of persecution, I, I, in following Christ, I might say for myself, I will lay down my life because of uh, because I think it's important to do so, which might not translate into, well, for example, I have a family, I need to protect them. There's, there's, mm -hmm. uh, there's a little bit of a, a difference there. Um, and I wanted to bring up first Timothy five, six, uh, in the context of this, right. Um, but if any provide not for his own and specifically, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, in, in that the context of that verse, it's more talking about providing for your family financially, right? But mm -hmm. I think there's a there's an underlying principle there um, that, hey, the pagans know that they're supposed to take care of their own, that they're supposed to take care of their family. So when a Christian doesn't do that, he's actually worse than an unbeliever, because even the unbelievers know you should do that. And I think it's uh, a similar uh, similar for the case of self-defense, right? Even the pagans know I should protect my family if somebody wants to kill them. Uh, so like we as Christians should have the, the same, at least the same view. I think there's a, there's a principle there. Um, and then when it comes to specifically the, the verses from the Sermon on the Mount, I do think the broader context helps us to, uh, to couch uh, what's going on there. Um, earlier in the, the Sermon on the Mount, and this is from Matthew 5, 10 through 12, we read, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of e evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Um, so I don't think that this should be taken in relation to generic self-defense cases, but specifically about uh, religious persecution, right? Because it says that uh, we're being taken or we're being persecuted for righteousness sake or we're, we're being persecuted for Christ's sake. So mm -hmm. I think that's a very different thing than um, somebody breaking into your house for like, they're not persecuting you for righteousness sake. They're persecuting you because they want your stuff. Um, right. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a very different context. So this sort of gets into the discussion of martyrdom versus generic self-defense, right? I mm -hmm. do think that there's a, there's a context where a Christian should be willing to lay down his life, um, for, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ that might not that doesn't translate into all all areas where your life might be in danger and you need to you need to act in a manner of self-defense uh, i think that's uh that's very consistent with what we see in the bible and it doesn't 
violate any of the scriptures that we could bring to on the topic. It, uh, it makes it a, a consistent whole there. It, so the question then becomes, well, if we are able to exercise self-defense, then, then why is there even a context where we might not want to, uh, might not want to, why is it that we should be willing to lay down our lives in certain contexts? And um, one reason definitely is because of the, the gospel, that it's an adornment of the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, so just to read a, a couple of verses here from First uh, Peter. First um, Peter 3.1, uh, Likewise, ye wives, being subject to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they, uh, they also may, without the word, be won by the con uh, conversation of their wives. So here... The wives are be to be humble and submissive as a witness that what they believe is true, right? Now, that's not talking about self-defense necessarily, but there's a, a, a principle uh, in, the same, in the same flow of thought, right? This is 1 Peter 3, 9. Uh, Peter says, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, uh, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. So we're not... We're not um, we're not, what's the word I'm looking for? We're not uh, um, retaliating because we're going to receive a blessing for it, right? And then Peter goes on in verses 14 and 15, same chapter. Uh, but if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye, and be uh, not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh uh, you for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So this is, this is the great verse for apologetics, right? This is the, the commission of apologetics, but you'll notice that the context is actually suffering for righteousness sake, right? Which is, uh, which is exactly what we're talking about here. So we're suffering, but we're giving a defense. We're demonstrating in our suffering that, that Christ is, is worthy, that this gospel that we believe in is true. Uh, we're not we're not so holding on to our lives by not holding on to our lives potentially we're we're demonstrating that no there is something actually greater than my life that I believe in so it's a great it's a great witness to that um, yeah and you have um you know going back to the discussion on marriage I think Paul even talks about this too with if you have if someone is a believer and they have an unbelieving spouse you don't divorce them mm -hmm. right you're yes. you're supposed to stay with them. Um, it's, it's one thing for a Christian to marry an unbeliever. <clears throat> it's another thing entirely for two pagan, you know, two pagans who uh, are married. One becomes a Christian and you shouldn't leave them. You should still try to witness to them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think Paul kind of echoes that same principle. And then in verse 15 of first Peter three here, um, it's, I think you kind of brought out what I was going to get at with regards to. Um, you know, this apologetics understanding of this passage, this, I think this verse is abused a lot, um, and used to justify a lot of things in the Christian world, like apologetics, you know, I'm an apologist, the, the, the role of apologist or apologetics ministries that really aren't started in the context of what is being said here. The context is persecution. We're being a witness for the gospel in light of being persecuted. This isn't just setting up you know, a Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, and we're out here doing speaks, you know, doing um, seminars. And that, that's not what this is about. This is about defending the gospel in light of being persecuted. Mm -hmm. So if someone is martyred and they're defending the faith by 
you know, proclaiming the gospel as they're burning at the stake or something. That's really what is in mind here, that kind of defense of the faith. Paul witnessing to his Roman jailers as he was, you know, all of Caesar's household, right? He, they, if I remember correctly, when he was a prisoner, he was um, preaching the gospel to, to people that were persecuting him, holding him prisoner. Um, and then, you know, throughout the book of Acts, you see as they were being persecuted, going before these rulers, preaching the gospel of Christ and defending what they were doing in light of being told, no, you cannot preach about this Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they would continue to defend. They had an answer for the hope that was within them while they were being persecuted. And I think that's really the understanding of what we have, uh, what we have here. And I think Christians, unfortunately, take only verse 15 and use that to justify entire movements and entire ministries uh, mm-hmm. instead of understanding this in light of what in light of true persecution. I mean, I, I definitely could go on about modern the modern <laughs> ministry movement that's completely detached. You mean from there, there's church. no office of apologist, Sean? It's it's in no, there somewhere. No, right? no, there's not. Um, in some <laughs> in some way, all Christians can be an apologist. Um, because yeah. all Christians might uh, have the potential to fit within the context of uh, yep. second or uh, was it first or second Peter? I've already forgotten. Um, first Peter there. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so all Christians have that potential. Um, but yeah, no, to, to create a separate organization detached from the local church, that's not, we don't ever mm-hmm. see that. Oh, yeah, that, um, that's being, true. That creates another set of problems, right? Yeah. Ecclesiastical problems. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, and this comes from the next chapter, First Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. Beloved, uh, do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his re- uh, glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him be not ashamed. Uh, but let him glorify God in that name for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So again, just similar context. It seems that the, the persecution is coming from, um, in, in it's a religious persecution. It's not a generic, um, generic self-defense persecution, right? It's not, we're, we're just defending our lives because somebody wants to, to kill us. Um, so we, we see that throughout this, this is a, this is a good gospel witness. Why are we supposed to go one mile instead of two? Because it's, it's so counterintuitive. It's so countercultural that it's an excellent opportunity to witness to the person persecuting you and um, making it, it's a, it's a visual demonstration to them that you do actually believe what you're saying. Yeah. It should at least make them ask questions like, wow, mm-hmm. why are you caring? I'm doing all this, these bad things to you. And why are you going this extra mile for me to help me out? Yeah. It's a great conversation starter as it relates to the gospel. Um, and then also, <clears throat> you know, along with Peter's, uh, logic here it is because of christ's example that we're mm-hmm. to not resist persecution um he was humble 
he went to uh, he went like a lamb to the slaughter on our behalf. He didn't resist. Uh, and in fact, he rebuked Peter for trying to resist. Uh, he tried to resist for force, tried to actually enact self-defense against the Lord. And the Lord said, no, this is not this is not what we're to do. This is inappropriate for this time. And Christ went there to fulfill his mission, being persecuted for righteousness sake uh, and murdered by the Jews through the Romans. And so that example, that humble example, that uh, quiet submissiveness were to have as we uh, are being persecuted. And it's really because our Lord did that, that we're to do that. We're to model his uh, example in being persecuted. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, Christ should always be our our example. Um, we need to take the full counsel of God there because there's there's things that he wasn't there's rights he had that he did not exercise at his first coming that he will exercise at his second coming. Right? Mm -hmm. Christ Christ didn't come in his first coming with uh, with fiery judgment, but that will happen in his second coming. Um, so we are we are to take the entire. Uh, scriptural witness to him and make sure that that uh that's the lens by which we view all things because you will get uh liberals that just like look at the sermon on the mountain or whatever like oh well we're supposed to be pacifists because that's that's clearly what uh <laughs> the gospels teach or whatever and ignore the entire testimony of scripture not recognizing that christ came for a specific purpose and that resulted in him behaving in a certain way during mm -hmm. that time which is not applicable <laughs> to to uh all of the uh all of the christian life yep it, we have to take all of scripture we can't we can't cherry pick what we want and throw out the rest because it's convenient to our position we have to be consistent yep and that yep. comes from believing that scripture is in fact the word of god and is actually consistent and provides us a consistent testimony but the world doesn't see it that way they'll just use it for their own purposes um, so going back to what you sort of started to begin to, to talk about, Dan, we'll talk about how are we supposed to think about people that, uh, are potentially, uh, people that we would want to convert, right? So the thief breaks in and, uh, we have potentially the right to take their life, but do we necessarily always want to, to exercise that right? And we should, uh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't take people's lives flippantly. We are to love um love our neighbors as ourselves and mm -hmm. so that might be that might mean i don't exercise my right even though i might have it in this context we do have to balance that with the um with the responsibility of protecting other people so if i'm if i'm head of household and i i have an obligation to protect those in my household um i'm i still have to i still have to take that into account in the situation and um and protect them and if that means using lethal force i'll, I'll do that right um but we do want to have in view the person that we're, we're potentially taking the life from and and make sure that we're not we're not doing it flippantly and trying to uh to love them and keep them alive for the sake that they might be saved um that that should be our end goal so there is a little bit of uh thinking through that uh people might just might have to do in regards to that. And I did, um, did want to bring in the case of the, the role of the government, right? God has ordained the, the government for the punishment of evildoers. Uh, we see that in Romans 13. So there's, there's definitely, there's, there's a, there's a role for punishment and taking life, 
and uh, the Christian can participate that if they're in that role in in the government, right? So we can't be so be beholden to the idea of like, well, I need to love my neighbor, so I can't I can't ever have anything to do with putting them to death, and neither should the government, right? Uh, that's clearly not the case. It's clearly an imbalance in terms of what the scripture is trying to say. We should love our neighbor, and sometimes loving our neighbor means that we put someone to death. Right. Um, if, they're, if they're a threat to my neighbor, my family, whoever, the loving <clears throat> thing to do actually is to eliminate that threat in certain contexts. So it is important that we have that balance there. Yeah, we have. Yeah. And I think that's a, the great way to put it, Sean. You just we need to have that balance because we don't want to be. You're right. We don't want to be flippant. Um, you know, we don't go around, you know, joy killing people um, there. But at the same time, there is an understanding, I think, that um, in the act itself, because it is a righteous act, at the very least, there is enjoyment in a sense uh, that you're executing justice, you're doing righteousness. Um, I think there's a balance that would have to be there. It's not like we're going around saying, well, you know, I, if I have to kill someone, I'm, I'm just hating everything about this. So sometimes it's good to actually end the life of, of someone biblically speaking, and it's a righteous thing to do. Um, and I think we can see, you can see this in the old Testament, like Psalm 139, 19 through 22, the imprecatory prayers of, of David wishing death upon his enemies. Um, I think there are certain contexts where that's okay. Um, but at the same time, we have Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, which talks about the Lord not, uh, you know, finding pleasure in the destruction of the wicked because he would, he wants them to turn from their ways and live. And that's kind of what we're, we're seeing here. So there is a balance, I think that has to be, you know, it has to be had with regards to, um, to destroying the wicked in, in that sense. Um, you know, we should desire that the wicked turn from their ways, but, if we have to take somebody's life they're you know, that, that kind of changes the situation. You know, if, if they're trying to take my life for the life of someone that I care about, um, they've essentially forfeited their life at that point. Um, and God is essentially using us as a tool of judgment against that individual. Um, but at the same time, there's that weightiness. I think that we should have that. If that person is an unbeliever, we are sending them to hell. We are the we are the immediate agent that sent in in cause to send them into eternity. Um, so it, it it is a balance. It's something that we have to we have to weigh heavily um, as we as we go through this. So you know, the killing of a wicked man is not sinful, but it's not preferable, right? It's not preferable. We we would want them to turn from their wicked ways, and we would want them to live, and we would want them to be as we are saved and made righteous in the sight of God by Christ. Um, but sometimes the situation um, doesn't call for that, and especially if you're in a just war as a soldier and you have to destroy the enemy. Um, you know, you you have a duty to destroy the enemy. That's your job. And, and you are really exercising the authority given in Romans 13 as the sword to execute justice in and punish the evildoer. Um, and in that that's another context where we can, you know, all bets are off, so to speak. And God is uh, essentially duty binding us to destroy the enemy at that point. Um, so, and this is where we can see to looking at all of scripture, we have all of these different things that we have to hold at, at the same time. The fact that we're to love our enemy, we're not to do evil to your enemy. As Jesus said, we're to feed our enemy, we're to, 
give them something to drink if they're thirsty um, in certain contexts, but we're also to execute justice. And sometimes justice is taking the life um, of, of a, an aggressor. Um, and Jesus was not against that at all. And in fact, like the impeccatory prayers of David, the wars and judges and, and Joshua um, with wiping out the Canaanites, um, all of that was given in the context of the old law to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus wasn't coming up with anything new when he said to love your enemy. He was just simply saying, like you guys are saying, you, know, you Jews, you religious leaders who have abused the law, you're saying that this law only applies to people that you love. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The law to love your neighbors yourself applies to your enemies too. And we talked about this, I think, in the Prager episode um, on the extension, uh, you know, the uh, the the scope of loving your neighbors yourself from the book of Leviticus. Um, so we know that it doesn't just apply to people you love. It applies to also people outside of the covenant community, all men, right? Um, so this is not inconsistent at all with what Jesus is saying. And then also... Paul uh, or Sean touched upon this a little earlier, but Jesus is going to come again and he's going to judge uh, revelation 19, 11 through 21. Jesus is going to come with clothes dipped in blood on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, striking down the nations and the wicked will be destroyed. Um, he won't be coming uh, with a gospel. He'll be coming with judgment uh, to wipe out his enemies and to throw um, his enemies into the lake of fire. Um, so it, Jesus came at first with a gospel of peace, and he's going to come with swift judgment for those who do not repent. Um, so Jesus will use deadly force against his enemies, um, even if even if it's in a spiritual sense. So, again, we're holding all of these things in balance here with the scriptures. We have scriptures that seem to indicate that we're to not have any aggression, but then we have clear scriptures saying that we are and giving us those contexts, and that's where we have to have that hermeneutic of, of consistency throughout uh, the scriptures. Yeah. Whole Bible hermeneutic. Absolutely. Whole Bible hermeneutic. Yes. Yeah. Um, you brought up something very, uh, you brought up a good point that I wanted to expand upon that the, uh, the state has in some way granted us uh, some of its authority uh, in self-defense, right? You're talking mm -hmm. about in the context of war, but I think also um, because the state does allow us to, uh, use deadly force in certain contexts that that is a we're getting a, a derivative authority there now i don't want to make that relativistic and say like well if the state were to take away that authority you know it's like okay well there are no more guns you can't ever kill anybody even if somebody's breaking in to murder you you're not allowed to defend yourself well the bible tells me i can and we're to obey the government insofar as it doesn't cause us to sin right so if it's sin for me not to, then I will still do it regardless of what the government says. But right. the government actually has somewhat delegated its, its authority by saying um, there are certain cases where you can act in self-defense. And that is essentially the, the arm of the state doing the justice that um, it was it, it's supposed to do, uh, it being the servant of God there. So I did want to bring that up because I think that's, a, that's an important idea. Um, I'm I'm good to move on to the next section if you are Dan. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wanted to talk about the uh, kind of the resisting political authorities. And Sean, you do you see the link in the notes there, the YouTube link? Yes, I do. Can you pull? I forgot to pull it up again. 
I, I do. This is the second time I've gaffed where I <laughs> forgot to pull up the video beforehand. So could you pull it up for me? Yes. Yes. It's I just can. at the very beginning of the video. So, you know, kind of talking along the same lines of political self-defense. We in the U.S., you know, we, we do have listeners outside the U.S., um, but the U.S. is very big on their gun culture, right? Especially in the conservative circles, we have this massive gun culture where self-defense, fighting, um, resisting tyrannical governments, militias. I, I mean, it's a it's a big deal for for Americans. Uh, in fact, there's more guns and people in the U.S. than Americans or 120 guns per 100 Americans, according to CNN. Um, so we have a, a massive uh, we have enough to, to have a, an enormous army if all the citizens were. Uh, we're somehow to rise up. Now, you know, this is an episode about gun control or anything, but it's just I, we just want to talk about this in light of, um, you know, some of these issues surrounding self-defense. What is a biblical approach to these different issues that come on the scene as we're talking about, you know, you, you have in Christian circles, those of a, um, a theonomic uh, mindset with regards to government uh, resisting tyranny, yeah, maybe it seems at all costs. You know, what is the response to that kind of, of behavior when we're talking about biblical uh, institutions of self-defense and what that looks like? Um, there's nothing wrong with American freedom. We're thankful for our freedoms. We have uh, the freedom to own weapons and to have uh, and to have self-defense because of our laws. And that's good. And, you know, I think that's consistent with what we're talking about today. But we have to be careful that we don't ebb into uh, creep, you know, creeping into a scope that we're not supposed to be doing. We're not to edge outside of those boundaries that were given in Scripture. And, and I do think that there are those in Christian circles that do that and tried and have idolized the American system so much that um, their view of self-defense and fighting um, and government, I, I think, has become warped. Um, and is really shaped by the world more than it is with scripture. Um, and we're going to kind of show an example of this today from, uh, it's an ad from a cross politic episode where they actually interview Dennis Prager um, is at the very beginning of the episode. Um, and it's very interesting because it, there's a lot packed into this ad. It's like a 30 second ad, but when you listen to it, so there should be some things that catch your attention and just make you kind of go, wow. Okay. That's interesting. So we're going to play it and then uh, talk about it a little bit. Now, can you see it on the screen right now, Dan? Yeah, I can. Okay, I'll play that then. It is the duty of the free man to resist tyranny at every turn. Every man will either watch his freedom stripped away or take action to protect what he loves. Introducing the A3, the newest revolutionary body armor from Armored Republic. A3 is the new standard for lightweight multi-hit body armor. A3 plates are incredibly light at 4.6 pounds. The patented design captures fragmentation while remaining multi-hit capable. The A3 will stop up to M80 ball, yet comes in at only 0.7 inches thick. The A3 is the thinnest NIJ.06 compliant or certified composite standalone plate that includes the drop test. The A3 is the first of its kind, patent pending, that combines an alloy strike face with polyethylene backing, revolutionizing body armor technology by providing strength and durability while remaining sleek and maneuverable. The A3 is the new standard in lightweight body armor. 
The fight against tyranny just got stronger. All right. So that is the ad. So this is at the beginning of that uh, particular episode. Um, and it's very interesting because you can see this is more than just a body armor. Um, this is more than just a body armor advertisement. Nothing wrong with body armor. Body armor can be helpful. It's it's a pretty cool looking ad. Um, and it looks like, you know, it'd be a lot of fun to walk around like that. Um, and but we have to be careful because there's some things in that ad that uh, should catch our attention at the beginning and the end. There's this uh, this call to stand against tyranny. Actually, they say it's the duty of the free man to stand against tyranny. And then, of course, they bring into the body armor and the weapons and the the whole soldier look and feel, um, which really implies either armed rebellion or some kind of uh, armed resistance against the government, which. Uh, which uh, it's like, you know, should you call the FBI or <laughs> who are these people? Is this another Waco or something? I, um, I thought, to be honest, <laughs> I, I was having issues not laughing at the ad because it just seems so comically absurd. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, we, we should mention that for those that don't know, CrossPolitik is a, a, uh, it's a Christian podcast that deals with the intersection of politics and, and Christianity, right? This yeah. Sort of, it's, it's, Vibe. Yeah. So, so, I mean, they're, they're very, you know, they are theonomists. They are, they're, esch you know, eschatology is postmillennial. One of the men at least is an elder at Doug Wilson's church, uh, Toby Sumter, I think it is. Um, see, I thought he might've been at a different church now, but I, I could be wrong. No, I, if you okay. look at their, their session of elders on, on mm -hmm. uh, Wilson's church's website, he's listed there. Mm -hmm. um, so he's an elder at that church at least. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can usually tell who people are by who they're good buddies with. So it, you can see where these guys are coming from. It's a very politically driven uh, podcast and they're trying to integrate their eschatology and their understanding of God's law into uh, pretty much into all that they do. And so this ad is very consistent with their, uh, with their mindset on, on government and, and really instituting some sort of American understanding of theonomy I mean, so I think these guys are they would have some sort of Presbyterianism. You know, they're they're obviously not going to to implement some kind of British uh, theonomy that would be found in the original Westminster Confession. This is really purely American. Um, but I do think it's interesting um, that we do see this and we have to be careful that we we don't fall into this mindset. I mean, is this really a based on what we talked about already in the biblical foundations that we laid? Is this really a consistent understanding of how christians are to approach tyranny quote unquote um or or any kind of of oppression what if that tyrannical government comes after you for uh because you're a christian are you to do that well as we've discussed today no we're to we're not to resist in that uh, respect we're to go to if it's to the slaughter we go to the slaughter just like our lord did if it's to prison we go to to prison, knowing that we're suffering for Christ, and we're to rejoice in that. We're not to resist it. Um, and so you can see this again. This this is an Americanized mindset. This is purely a uh, we're trying to implement this this these freedom concepts, this American constitutional concepts, back into the scriptures, and that's shaping how we're going to um, you know defend ourselves. Um, and we have this is where we have to be very careful not to let the culture in the world influence how we 
view the scriptures. And yes, just because it's from the United States does not make it any less pagan necessarily. You know, it, we have to be very careful um, that we don't uh, kind of equate these understandings of freedom necessarily with biblical understandings of um, of freedom and and how we're to approach resisting the government. But that's an example of what not to do. And I, I hope that's been helpful. Sean and I, we, we talked about playing this because we saw it when we were, um, I think we were just watching ago. this. I don't remember. We just saw it by accident. We weren't trying to look for it. And we were just kind of like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I, I clicked on the video because uh, it was Dennis Prager on Cross Politics. Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, let me let me see what, the, what he said on their show. And I saw that ad and I was sort of blown away by it. Because this is a, a Christian Christian um, podcast, and they're they're sort of implying that there should be armed rebellion against the government when, right. whenever there's a whenever there's tyranny in place. Um, which I would certainly say that there's tyranny in place right now, but that doesn't mean that we should be um, in armed rebellion. Uh, I did want to briefly note that not all not all theonomists have the same view of church state relations, and I'm sure that right. there are many yep. that would would have to say the same thing like no just because there's any sort of tyranny uh we shouldn't um we shouldn't necessarily engage in armed rebellion They're kind of their own but, unique brand i think well i mean i i, I at some extreme. point maybe maybe i should ask him why they what they think about this ad like maybe like it doesn't come off the same way to them as it does for us but like like it, de it definitely did seem to me that like, and you've got the, the gunshots firing in the background <laughs> while they're talking, like, like any tyranny, you know, it's the free man's duty to resist. It's like resist with, with armed force. Like, so right. I, I, I don't know. I, I saw that and I was a little bit flabbergasted, but no, you're, you're absolutely right, Dan. Um, the government may be oppressive towards us and it may overstep its bound. And when I say it may, it will because it's it's an uh, institution infested with sinful men. Um, but we are not to resist, especially in the context. Well, there are cases where we might resist, depending. But uh, we are most certainly not to resist in the context, context of religious persecution. That is that is right. Wrong. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll read here from First uh, Peter. This is verses 2, 13 through 23. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the word of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for the cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it when ye uh, be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth rightly. Um, and I'll note, this is, this is the exact same Peter that said, uh, we ought to obey God rather than men, right? 
So there is no, there's no imbalance in Peter where like we're just supposed to um, always submit to the government no matter what it says. No, we're not. Um, and in fact, there is a little bit of uh, uh, rebellion, you could say, in this passage because Peter is saying you're going to suffer for righteousness sake. You're not going to cave. You're going to suffer patiently uh, for righteousness sake. So uh, I'm not I'm not going to resist, but I am going to continue to do what God has called me to do, regardless of the consequences that uh, anybody might put upon me. And uh, I entrust myself to him that uh, he will all things work out to, to good for the. Sean, you're muted. I can't hear you. You're having some technical difficulties here. No, I can't hear you. Mm-mm. No. I don't know if it's me. My speakers are on. Sorry, everyone. We're having some technical difficulties. All right. Sean's going to be coming back. But it, it kind of carrying... Yeah, I'll try to pick up where he left off. So Sean is basically talking about, you know, Peter discussing persecution and according and according to you know what we're supposed to be doing with regards to persecution uh, peter is saying that we're not to be you know we're, we're not to just obey the government because um you know they've told us to do something um it, it we're to come up to that limit where they contradict the word of god and sean i think sean's back can you hear me sean I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, I can. I can hear you now. Yep. All right. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what happened there. Where did I? Uh, where did I cut out? Oh, uh, you were talking about Peter um, and obeying the government. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the. It's the same Peter who uh, who says both things, right? That says that we uh, should suffer patiently for righteousness' sake, and at the same time, we should also. Um, we, we also should obey God rather than men, right? We're not going to submit to the government when it's sinful. Um, and there's, there's even within the, the, uh, the passage from first Peter two, there's a, there's a little bit of an element of we're not going to listen to the government, right? Because the government might say, don't do this and we will do it for righteousness sake, but we are to do it patiently. We're not to engage in, engage in armed rebellion. We were to suffer and be a witness to those around us that we we truly believe that this is true, that um, that God is worthy, and we entrust ourselves to Him, knowing that uh, whatever happens, it will be for our good and His glory. Yeah, no, Amen to that. We and that's really the end of the day. What we should seek, we should seek the glory of God in all of these things, and that should guide how we're going to protect life or allow you know, ourselves to be, to be persecuted. Is this for the glory of God or is it just for myself? That ad that we saw is, is very selfish. It's about me and my protection and my freedoms and my rights. Um, but what about what honors and glorifies God? Is this pleasing to him? Is this consistent with his word? Um, does this bring most glory to him and his gospel? Or is this, um, or, or is this really just a selfish um, outworking of, of, you know, pagan ideology, really, if it's not biblical. So 
we began this um we began this uh oh actually did we have more to say about the the role of the government before i move on mm-hmm. i think we're good okay uh we decided to do this episode before the the recent shooting in the, the christian school in tennessee um mm. and it, it would probably be we at the very least i want to sort of imply apply what we were uh what we discussed today to that and specifically in the the uh, context of armed guard, guards should have the school had armed guards to uh to protect the uh the students there and um because it, it did seem like there was at least a little bit of discussion whether or not they they should have uh i'm not trying to criticize the school for not having had armed guards because i don't know what their situation was if they had the money to do that or whatever that was not um this is not a, a criticism leveled against the school just a discussion of theoretically uh could could something like that have armed guards and when you get into like okay Christian schools, is that a thing that should even exist? Or what are the biblical boundaries about that? Um, that's not that's not going to be a discussion for this either. But theoretically, I don't see any issue with armed guards. Um, it's not like you can interview someone coming into the school, say like, are you here to, to persecute us because we're Christians? Are you here to like, that's, that's, that's not a thing. So I think it's perfectly acceptable for uh, uh, there to be armed security for maybe a church or whatever, uh, depending on the context, um, because it it's not like you can interview someone for are you are you persecuting us religiously or what? Um, there's just some cases where it's appropriate to use self-defense. I'm not saying like every church is obligated to have armed guidance or something that would be that'd be an absurd statement. But I think that there's a, a reasonable um it's reasonable within the bounds of of uh, what the scriptures set that we might be able to to do that. I don't know what were your thoughts on that, Dan? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And I think because um, I think it'd be one thing if school shootings were only limited to Christian schools, then you could probably say that it's persecution because it's a Christian mm-hmm. school. Um, but we see shootings in we've seen it across multiple schools, public mm-hmm. and private. So I think it's safe to say that you're not going to know why that person's there. Mm-hmm. Um, they may very well be, you know, someone like this, uh, this person who uh, attacked this school in Nashville. Uh, they were a former student at that school. Um, but I don't know if, you know, the people there would have known that they're probably just, they probably didn't expect to see this kid. And I think this, this person had actually maybe even graduated from there Um and spent a good amount of time there. Um, so you're not going to know the intention of the, the person, whether they're here to attack you because you're a Christian or not. And I think later it was found out that um, I think they probably were, um, but you're not going to know that necessarily. It's going to take a long, you know, the investigative process going to have to flesh all that out. Um, you're probably not going to know till years later what the person's intention was, if at all. So it's one of those things that, you, you kind of have to take on a case by case basis, but in the heat of the moment, you're not going to know. And I think it's perfectly appropriate for there to be some sort of, um, you know, armed security or something of that nature to uh, protect the students there. And again, this isn't to criticize the school and Sean and I aren't doing that. Um, but just theoretically, it, I, and even in public schools, you see this um, in DC where I work, you have uh Metropolitan Police Department as school resource officers. And I think other districts might have this, which are basically just police officers that 
uh, go to schools and they protect the schools. They're armed. Uh, they're armed police officers. Um, and if there's a shooting or something like that, they can respond and help protect the students there. Um, so I think that's perfectly legitimate and perfectly fine, even in the context of a Christian school, uh, just because shootings are not necessarily geared towards Christians. Um, it's, it's a universal problem, it seems, um, that, uh, that our country uh, seems to have. And so I think that that having armed guards at a Christian school is perfectly biblical and legitimate. Yeah. And going back to the, the, uh, what we were talking about a little bit earlier, that there's a delegation of authority, right? Yeah. The, the state does have the right to intervene, right? If somebody's persecuting me because I'm a Christian and the state's like, no, that's wrong and, and intervenes, they're doing exactly what's, what's just right. And there is a little yep. bit of a delegation of authority uh when the state says like you you may act in self-defense in this in this situation again just because the government allows it doesn't mean that they have the right to grant it god is the one who grants that right mm. but um so being able to act sort of in that role i think is also perfectly appropriate to do um i did i thought i had heard that maybe the the shooter had originally picked another or maybe this was another shooting i'm thinking of but somebody, it might have been the the, the uh, church shooting in Texas that was within the past year or two, that originally they had looked at other targets, um, but decided, or maybe it was the the, the, the the Christian school. But anyway, that they looked at other targets and then decided to pick the uh, whatever it was because they knew that there wouldn't be anybody armed there. So that would be an indication that, okay, they're not doing this for, for, for religious reasons. They're, it's just a target of opportunity. Um, so, yeah. And just the, the last thing uh, we want to talk about before we close with the application of martyrdom. Um, basically, the question of should you seek martyrdom? Is that appropriate? Because mm. people do sort of get a, a romantic view of martyrdom. And yep. in, in some regards, they're it's something to be appreciated and it is a, it is a glorious witness to, to God. Right. But um, if you're actively seeking martyrdom, that's, I don't think that's what the scripture teaches, right? Persecution might come upon us and we're therefore supposed to, to um, respond appropriately. And that mean if that means losing our lives, we'll do that, but we're not supposed to actively seek, that our lives would be ended for the, the glory of God. It's supposed to be something uh, passive in that regard. At least that's all the context I've seen in the Bible. It's, it's a passive thing. So um, you can get the, the other side, uh, another imbalance again, where it's like, well, everybody should be, you know, willing to get martyred and should be seeking that because it's such a glorious witness to God. God has called us to live our lives. And if he puts our, mm -hmm. uh, us in a situation, if he puts us in a situation where we give it up to show, that he's worthy of it, then that's fine. But we're not supposed to take that in our hand, uh, hands. And ultimately, it would be sinful to do so because at a certain point, it becomes a form of suicide, and suicide is wrong. Right. Suicide is self-murder. Um, so we, while martyrdom is supposed is something to be appreciated and recognized for what it is, I don't want it to be overly glorified to the point where, you know, You've got other Christians telling Christians like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're talking about self-defense and all that. Um, we should all be willing to be martyred for, for anything like that's actually sinful in and of, in of itself. Yeah. Yeah. We have to be careful. We don't 
we don't seek persecution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not trying yeah. to we're not trying to be persecuted. Um, and we shouldn't. It's really it's gonna persecution's gonna come as we live holy lives in front of the world. It's not gonna uh, we should expect it. Paul said so to Timothy, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not a matter of if they'll be persecuted, they will. It's a matter of when. So as we're living a godly life in Christ Jesus in front of the world, persecution is going to come. We don't have to create it. Um, And I do think that there has been kind of this sense, um, you know, sensationalization of of persecution um, because I think social media has made that very easy to do. Oh, you know, I got arrested in front of an abortion clinic. Look at me. You know, that's not a biblical model. There was no pride in this, in the sense that it was to show off some sort of, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the only pride, I guess, is that this is glorifying Christ and this is a witness for him, but it wasn't some kind of look at me, look at me, look what's happening to me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that has become, uh, especially in the street preaching world, I think you find that um, because these guys tend to get persecuted quite a bit um, because, you know, when they are preaching the gospel, there tends to be a lot of hate. Um, but I do think there's a lot of pride. There, there can be a lot of pride there uh, with regards to being persecuted. Oh, look at me. I'm out here on the street. I'm doing this and I'm getting spit at and cursed at and all this stuff. And and what are you doing? You know, why aren't you out here kind of thing? Um, and I think we have to be careful with that, too. Um, you know, persecution, we don't seek it, uh, but it's going to happen as we live our, our lives in front of the world. Um, and we entrust our lives to Christ and. And we just we know that the world's going to hate us. We shouldn't be surprised by it when it comes. Yeah, I do appreciate a lot of uh, street preaching videos. Um, obviously, we're not we're not trying to broad brush at uh, broad brush anybody, but yeah, no. you do get you do get certain ones that um, it does seem to be more about them. But yeah, no, I, I I very much appreciate some very godly street preachers that I know that uh, that that are in it for the glory of Christ. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, it's this isn't to meant to broad brush, you know, all street preaching or guys who that there. I've been out there uh, with brothers who have done that and and done street evangelism. So I've I've seen kind of the, you know, I've I've been on on both sides, I guess. Um, but I think that you can, you know, there are certain characters that might take things too far. It becomes an issue of, you know, look at the look what I've done kind of thing. Um, so we have to be really careful. We can take pride in our persecution in a wrong way if we're not careful. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all we had today. Um, thank you for joining us, everybody. We appreciate your attentiveness and hopefully this has been beneficial. Um, not an easy topic to cover and certainly a controversial one, but hopefully it's been helpful. Um, but everyone have a great Easter Sunday tomorrow. Um, you know, he is, Especially as Reformed Christians, we see every Sunday as as an Easter Sunday, quote unquote. But culturally speaking, you know, we tend to focus on, you know, these specific redemptive events. But as we celebrate our Lord's resurrection on the Lord's Day, um, have a great Sunday and Lord's Day. May the worship be good and, and may God be glorified in it. And we'll see you guys next week. Take care.